Turn with me, please, in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I want to take you back approximately 2,000 years to the heart of Palestine. And you are standing just outside the city of Jerusalem, along with almost all the rest of the city. People are everywhere. There is a huge commotion. The city itself is swollen with people who have already begun to come for the pilgrim feast of Passover. So they're coming into the city. There's more people than usual. And today there's this huge commotion, this huge disruption in the normal routine. There is a man who is coming down the road towards you, towards the city. And he is riding on a donkey. That's not so unusual, except he is surrounded by throngs of men and women and children. They are waving palm branches before him. They are laying their coats in the road in front of him and putting those palm branches on the road in front of him. And they are crying out, as we see in verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Praise befitting not only a king, the king. Praise from the Old Testament to God, the Messiah. This is what they are crying, and the crowd is extremely excited and even joyful as they praise this one who is coming down before you, right on the road towards Jerusalem. And so, you turn to those around you, to those near you, and you say, as we read in verse 10, Who is this? Who is this that is causing all this commotion? Who is this that is riding down into the city amidst all this adulation? And all this praise. Who is this? My people, this is a question that was actually often asked in the scriptures in the New Testament regarding Jesus. Who is this? Who is this? Here we have the people who are asking. Just the people. People on the street. People from the city. People here witnessing this spectacle. And they ask, who is this? Now to be sure, most of the residents of Jerusalem had undoubtedly heard of Jesus. 
Because for three years now, because this is right towards the end of his ministry, almost to his death, but for three years now, he had been ministering and teaching and healing and doing all kinds of things right before their eyes. The things that he did in the temple where he confronted the scribes and the Pharisees, the healing and the things that he did just outside the city and in the regions around about. They had heard about him. They had heard about his ministering, his teaching, his healing, his feeding. Most of the people by this time had heard about Jesus. He had already drawn enormous crowds many times affecting those that were there. So they saw him personally, or they went and told their family and relatives or friends about what they had witnessed. So many of them had undoubtedly already heard of Jesus. But still, it is very possible that even then, from the residents of this region, that they had not heard of Jesus, or they had not seen him for themselves. So they would not have recognized him, and they would say, Who is this? Maybe they just couldn't see who he was from a distance. Who is this? And the people would ask, Who is this? Now, furthermore, as I said, there would already have likely been people coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they might have been those there who had never heard of Jesus at all. Maybe in a distant land, a faraway place, they might have heard something here and there, but they really didn't know. So they ask, who is this? Now remember, people, this is just days before the Passover. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel of John and chapter 11. Here we have the great miracle that actually was the catalyst to what took place in our Lord's triumphal entry. If you look at John's Gospel in chapter 11, we see towards the end, actually, of this text, the miracle of our Lord Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He goes out to the tomb where his friend Lazarus had been buried. And if you would, please, look down in the text to verse 38. Jesus again being deeply moved within, came to that tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot in wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. The great miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which sent the Pharisees and the scribes into panic, as you read in the following verses, that they were saying, the whole world is going to go after him if he keeps doing this and we do nothing to stop him. But I ask you to look, if you would, please, to verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. You see, the town, the city was swollen with people who were coming for the Passover. And these people were standing in front of Jerusalem as Jesus now comes from Bethany down towards Jerusalem and people come out from Jerusalem up to meet him, and this is the whole crowd. Who is this? Who is this who comes? So in our text, and you need not turn there for now, in our text in Matthew 21, when it says, who is this? Many, many people were there from all over, and they wanted to know. And so they asked, who is this? But they were not the only ones. The people were not the only ones that we find asking, who is this? If you would please turn in your Bibles at this time to Luke chapter 5, as we see not only the people, but the Pharisees asked. Luke chapter 5. I love this. It's a great passage. Here we have in Luke chapter 5, the account of our Lord Jesus teaching many, and there were crowds around him, crowds that were there. And uh, I ask you, if you would, please, to uh, look down to verse 17. One day he was teaching. Now, he's already healed a leper right before this. But now one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from uh, every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. You see, there's people, lots of people, different people from around. And they were Pharisees and teachers. They were there from various places. And the power of the Lord was there. And, And so the place was full. And some men were carrying... On a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in, bring him, the man who was paralyzed, in to set him down in front of Jesus, and not finding a way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof, 
and they let him down through the tiles. Now, if that was your house, you'd be a little upset. They're up there taking my roof apart. And here they lay, the, they bring this man, they lower him down on a stretcher through the roof right in front of where Jesus was. And seeing their faith, what does Jesus do? What does he do when he sees this man and sees their faith? Well, does he heal them? Not right away. That's not what he does first. Not yet. Verse 20, he forgives his sins. He says, your sins are forgiven you. That's what he says first. Now, let me show something here that's really important. We live in a day that seems to teach that the most important thing for you is to be healthy and wealthy. Do you have an ache? Do you have a pain? Come to Jesus. No more aches and pains. They ought to put it like in a bottle. These guys are nothing more than snake oil salesmen. Come to Jesus and you wouldn't have any more aches and pains. There's something far more important than healing of your leg. It's healing of your soul. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins was far more important than healing this man. And so Jesus looks on him, has mercy on him, and says, Your sins are forgiven you. Now, that makes the scribes and the Pharisees really happy, doesn't it? They're indignant. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this? Who is this? That he speaks these blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, they were right. They're absolutely right. And so they say, who is this? Because only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus said to them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk, which is easier. There's still a lot of people that get this wrong. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. You can't see that. Talk is cheap, as they say. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven, but to say, get up and walk. And this man who is paralyzed and on a pallet actually gets up and is able to walk around. Can you imagine? First of all, can you imagine what it must have been like for that man who had been paralyzed? Uh, 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 I, I, I can move. I can move my hands. I can move my feet. I can get up. I can walk. Wow! Can you imagine the people? Imagine the guys that lowered him down from the roof. A couple of them must have fallen off the other side. This is astounding. This is amazing. Who is this that he can do this? And so the Pharisees ask. Look over to page or two to chapters 7, Luke 7. 
Another great passage. I can't take the time to go through all of what's going on. But if you look down to um, verse 36, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. You know what that meant. You know just what that meant. And when she had learned that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. Now the Pharisee goes, you know, if you knew who that was, you wouldn't let her touch you like that, right? So if you turn the page, if you look at chapter 7 and verse 40, Jesus says to the one who invited him, his name is Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Verse 41, he goes on to tell him that a, a money lender who had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and he forgives them, which, which one would appreciate it more? And of course, he says, I suppose the one who had been forgiven more. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this? Who is this? Who even forgives sins? You see, it was an oft-asked question. Who is this? Who is this one who can even forgive sins? Well, not only did the people ask that question, and not only did the Pharisees ask that question, but turn with me now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, as we see that even the disciples of John, and actually John himself, asked that question. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 2. Matthew tells us that John was already in prison. Verse 2, it says that while John was in prison, but he heard of the works of Christ and he sent word by his disciples. And they came to him and they say to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Who are you? Are you the one? Who is this man? Now we know from the scriptures, that John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the anointed one, that Jesus was the coming Messiah. But we also know that John had a pretty rough time. Imprisoned for some time by now, going through hardships all of his life. 
And here now in prison, he says, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Now, for whatever reason, John may have asked, and there are all kinds of reasons that people give for why he asked. The fact of the matter is he desired assurance. There's nothing wrong with that. Almost every day we need assurance. Who are you? Are you the one? Am I really following the right one? Oh, I know I am. But I like to know. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And we want to know. So John sent that question through his disciples. Are you the one? Now I want to just kind of look for a second here at Jesus' reply. He says in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go back and tell John that this is what I'm doing. This is what is happening. All of these things are happening amidst the teaching of the gospel. The blind receive their sight. The lame are healed. Even the dead are raised. Go back and tell John that. He speaks primarily of his visible works, the many miracles that he had been doing. So when the question is asked, Who is this? Look at what he does. But I've got one more. Turn back a few pages to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 8. Shortly after the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, the very next chapter following the Sermon on the Mount, if you look down to verses 23 and following, we have this account of Jesus and his disciples in a boat. Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. Verse 24, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. That was one of those great storms that I understand would happen on the Sea of Galilee. The winds would rush down from the mountains. They would cause these tumultuous storms and it would toss these small boats to and fro. And it was pretty uh, harrowing. It was a very, very uh, scary situation. The, the text even says that the waves are covering the boat. But Jesus himself was asleep. And so they come to him and they say to him, Save us, Lord! We are perishing! Isn't it exciting? Here's this boat being tossed to and fro. Save us, Lord! We're perishing! And he was asleep. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Do you think the Son of God's going to die on the Sea of Galilee? And, and drown? That's not what the prophet said. That's not what had to happen. That's not what he told them. But here still, they were afraid. And Jesus says, Why are you afraid, men of little faith? And then he got up 
and rebuke the winds and the sea. And it became perfectly calm. The text says that he rebuked it. You know what that means? He spoke to it. He spoke. And the winds obeyed him. He spoke. And the waves listened to his voice. He speaks. And creation obeys him. This was a powerful miracle. This was a powerful miracle. And you can imagine what the disciples felt like. It was very likely one of the first miracles, not the first necessarily, but one of the first miracles that they had seen like this. He spoke, and the winds and the waves obey His command. Oh, how creation knows its master. They listened to Jesus. Creation listens to their master. Not man. Not Al Gore. (laughs) Not these foolish people who are going around touting global warming. God is not going to let this earth perish until He says so. And creation knows it. They know. The winds and the waves knew. Now, I ask you this. You think they were frightened? You think these disciples were frightened? I think they were frightened in the storm. But I think they were more frightened when Jesus told the storm to stop. And it did. For we see their response. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? Who is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Who is this? As they see this man Jesus do these mighty Acts. People, it is the question of the ages. If you turn back to our text in Matthew chapter 21 and what these people say as they see Jesus coming down the road on the donkey, coming in to the city of Jerusalem, and they say, Who is this? It is the question of the ages. They see this commotion and they ask, as many had done, who is this? And the response comes back in verse 11. And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Oh, okay. Seriously, who is that? Who is Jesus? This is an oft-asked question. And this question was often answered in the Scriptures and in the passages that you and I have just 
visited. Do not the wind and the waves obey him? They sure did. He spoke and the wind and the waves ceased. The wind stopped and the seas became calm. You kids, listen to me. You know what kind of storms we get here in Florida, right? You know how loud the thunder is and how bright the lightning is. The lightning comes first. The lightning and the thunder, they can get pretty powerful and pretty strong. And we get winds that really howl and rain that really comes down hard here in Florida. It's part of where we live. Who can go out in the midst of one of these strong, powerful thunderstorms or maybe even a hurricane and say, stop, and anything happens? other than more lightning and thunder and more wind and more rain. Who can do that? Can I do that? I can't do that. Can your mommy do that? No. Daddy, no. No. Who can go down to the Gulf of Mexico when it is churning in the midst of a hurricane with waves crashing and smashing boats and and waves even coming in and destroying homes as happened in this community some 20 years ago. Who can do say to that wave, stop! And it goes back. You know what would happen to somebody who stood out there and said, stop! They would be washed away with that wave. Man cannot do that! Who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey Him? It is Creator God. The God who created the wind and the waves. The God who created the earth and all that is in it. He alone can stand and say, Stop! And they listen. Because He is God, the divine Son of God. No man can do what Jesus did. Only God can say to the waves, stop. And the sea becomes like glass. Because he is God. That's who he is. And then think with me. That crippled, paralyzed man, lying on a pallet, lowered in front of this man, Jesus, Who can say to that one, get up and walk? That was the whole point of the account. Because he said to him, your sins are forgiven. And they said, who is this? I'll show you who this is. Get up and walk. Who can do that? Only God. Only God can forgive sins. And to show that he was God incarnate. The God-man, the Messiah, who does forgive sins. He said, get up and walk. And so that man got up. Who can say to a paralyzed man, get up, and he gets up and dances a jig? Who can do that? 
Some of you work in the medical industry and you've seen people crippled. Some of you have friends and relatives and you've seen them. And yet all through the scriptures, Jesus speaks and they are healed. Or he puts a little bit of his spittle on their eyes and they go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And a man born blind now sees for the first time in his life. And even the people were saying, who can do that? God. God. Only God. Who is this? It is the incarnate Son of God. Divine, holy God among men who healed, cripples, lame, blind men, mute men who could not speak, demon-possessed men. Over and over and over He healed them. Showing. That he was God. Who is this? It is indeed none other than the very Son of God, the Creator among men. And who can take pots of water, filled with water, and turn them into wine? Do you realize what a miracle that is? Because wine has to ferment. And fermentation takes time. And supposedly, I'm not a connoisseur, so I don't really know, but the best wine is wine that has fermented for time. And so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, speaks. And the water turns to not just wine, but the best wine. And that's supposed to take time. And he does it instantly. How can he do that? Who can do that? God. Only God. The creator of time. And who could take five small loaves and a few fish and feed thousands? That is a creation miracle. He created food for thousands of people. Who can do that? Jonathan, can you do that? Micah? No? Only God. Only God. Who is this? This is the Creator. And right here, In our text, as we look at the triumphal entry of our Lord, just yesterday, just yesterday, He walked up to a tomb where there was a dead man inside, dead for four days. His sister said, Lord, what are you doing? He's been dead for four days. By now there will be a stench because He's decomposing. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And he speaks and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth! And a dead man gets up and lives. All that decomposition got put back. Who can do that? Who is this man? God. 
He is God. He is the only one who could possibly do these things. And that's why, thankfully, we have the Scriptures to show us exactly who this man is. The incarnate Son of God. God among men. It can be no other. And then, who can stand fearlessly before kings and governors knowing what they are about to do to Him and still call for the forgiveness of His own executioners. And who can withstand and endure the punching, the mocking, the beating, and the scourging of His back with whips as they would tear away His flesh and cause extreme pain. And yet, He goes on down the road and has spikes driven into His hands and His feet and then lifted up humiliated before all men, naked, bleeding from his head, from his back, from his hands, from his feet, for hours, hours on the cross. And yet, he doesn't die. Not until he determines and he knows that his work is finished that he then gives up his life. Who can do that? God. And God alone. The one riding on that donkey coming in to the city right before you who is this? Behold your God. It is God. It is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. It is the King, Almighty God, coming in to the city. The God who is God, the true God, became a man and dwelled among men. And so the eternal question to us is, do you know the answer? Who is this? Do you know the answer? The Mormons don't know the answer. They don't know that he's God. The Russellites don't know the answer. They don't know that he's God. Islam doesn't know the answer. They don't know that he's God. 
Judaism didn't know the answer. They didn't know that he is God. Do you? Who is this that approaches the city riding on a donkey with the palm branches waving and the garments being laid in his path? Who is this? Do you know? Not just in your head. Not just because of what I've told you from the Scriptures. But in your heart. Do you believe that He did all this? Do you believe that He is indeed the very Son of God? Do you know who this was? And if you say yes. Yes, I know. He is God incarnate. The very Son of God who came to dwell with men. If you say that you know that He is God, then fall before Him in worship. Because that is what men do before God. They fall before Him in adoration and worship because it is God that comes to your city. It is God that is before you. He is God and worthy of our praise. He is God and worthy of your very life. Take up your cross. Follow Him. Live for Him. To do anything less is to deny that He is God. Who is this? It's God the King. Fall before Him in worship. Or you will suffer His wrath. I ask you then, do you know who this is? Do you know this one who approaches as your Savior. Do you know Him as God who paid the price for your sins and so you love Him? You worship and adore Him. He is not just God. He is my God. My Savior, my Redeemer, the one that I love and thank for my very life. For he is worthy of my love, my thanksgiving, my praise, and my adoration. Who is this that comes? God, my Savior. If you know indeed that He is none other than the true and the living God, then you would worship Him. And I pray for your sake that you do know who He is as your God and Savior. Because as we have seen, He has displayed many powers, many miracles, the might that only divine God 
can show. And I warn you that He is coming again, and He will judge, and there will be a great display of the might of Almighty God, and it will be in judgment. So I pray indeed that you can say, Pastor, I know who He is. He's not just God. Indeed He is. But He's my God and my Savior. I pray that you can confidently answer that question. Who is this? Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, my Savior, whom I love and whom I worship, whom I follow, whom I give my life. I pray that that is your response. And I plead with you not to let Him just pass you by, but rather that you would cry out to Him, for mercy upon your soul. Let's pray.